First Kings. We're going to take a look at chapter 17 tonight as we uh, continue to take a look at some of the examples that God gives us of the concept we talked about, we touched on last week, and that concept is making a choice whether you're going to live your life by fear or by faith. When you look at the division of the kingdoms, the two sets of kingdoms, you got the northern kingdom, live their life by fear, always afraid they're going to lose power over the people. As a result, they were constantly, throughout their history, turning to idolatry. And tonight, we've, we, last week, we got all the way to a king named Ahab. We were told last week, he married a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel was of the Canaanite people. Her father's name was Ethbaal, or it means Baal, uh, the man of Baal, someone totally holy given. Uh, a lot of uh, um, historians believe he was a high priest to the worship of Baal. Now, Baal was the principal deity in, in conflict with Jehovah, with Yahweh. You have Baal and you had Yahweh. In that area of the world, those were the guys. The Lord brought the children of Israel into a land that required rain. It didn't have irrigation. They needed rain. So God's promise to the people was, if you walk with me, obey, you know, kind of follow my precepts, I'll take you through. I'm going to take care of you. I'll watch over you. I'm going to bless who blesses you. I'll curse who curses you all. Those promises that we see over the nation. But God says, if you get off track, you get a little sideways. And for most of us, we've been a little sideways one time or another in our life. Following the Lord. We end up a little sideways. We get out of shape a little bit. And the Lord would say to the nation of Israel, I'll withhold the rain. It's not a punishment. It's a sign. When the rain was withheld, the sign was, we're out of shape. We're a little sideways. We're, we've, we, somewhere we've got off track with the Lord. Let's go talk to Him. And if they would go and talk to the Lord, God said, now I'll get you back on track and I'll bring the rain. I'll take care of you. This will be my covenant, my promise with you. When you're out of shape, when you're a little sideways, when you're getting removed from me, I'm going to withhold the rain. And you'll know. But then, see, this other deity in the area, in the Canaanite lands, his name was Baal. Baal was the god of the storm. Now, Baal died every year. He died right along with the rainy season. He came or was resurrected when it was necessary to have rain. And then he would die again at the end of the rainy season and need resurrected again the next year. This is the way that they worshipped Baal. The way that they would resurrect him or bring him back to life was through a series of rites that kind of fed to the desires in mankind. And those rites usually were built around some type of sexual activity. So, so this was the worship of Baal. So Ahab, the king of Israel... Set aside by God. Every one of those kings, when they came up, you remember what God told them? God would speak to them, usually through a prophet, and he would say, if you'll follow me, I'm going to take care of you all the rest of your days. But Ahab, he's really not into that. He marries Jezebel, a Canaanite woman, who is a princess of the king of, of the Sidonians, we'll, we'll see them in a little while, whose name was Ethbaal, and again, he's a high priest of Baal. So Jezebel begins to totally disrupt all worship of Yahweh in the northern kingdom. So from the time of Ahab forward, there will be no worship of Yahweh in the north. There will be nothing even remotely resembling what they had had in the south. And you remember I told you, as we look at these two kingdoms, we see fear and faith. Why? Fear. It's how are you going to live your life? Are you going to live your life trying to please man. The Bible calls that the fear of man. And the fear of man, the Bible says, is a snare. If you've learned anything about trying to please man, how does it work out? Can you please everybody? Can you please half of them? You're lucky if you can please them for a couple days. And then the third day, they're going to be upset about something. Nobody stays on top always. So when we live our life trying to please man, we're never going to be successful and we're constantly going to live in frustration. That's what it means to live in fear. To live in fear. The other option is to live in faith. Faith says, I'm going to follow God. In the southern kingdom, it wasn't perfect. They weren't great. But many, not all, many of their kings 
specifically chose to live their life by faith. We're going to follow the precepts of God. I want to live my life pleasing God. That's the division. I want to live my life pleasing God. I want to live my life pleasing man. It's always going to be the division. Same division exists today. You either live your life for the Lord or you live your life for man. One is living your life in fear. The other is living your life in faith. So as we come and we're going to focus now all, all night tonight on the northern kingdom and for the next several chapters, as we're introduced to a man who suddenly comes on the scene. We don't know where he was born. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know anything about him, except that he becomes the most preeminent prophet on the pages of Scripture. And he says the fewest things. His name's Elijah. The Bible tells that before Jesus returns, Elijah must come. When Jesus was asked if he was Elijah or, or, or who he was, he says, if you can handle it, Elijah has come in the person of John the Baptist because he came in the, in the symbol of Elijah. But, he says, Elijah will come. One of the things we note in Scripture when we do a study of of end times or the last days, the Bible says before Jesus returns, there will be two witnesses that will go and witness in Israel to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. Everybody argues over who one of them is going to be. But everybody knows who the other one is. Elijah. You remember about Elijah's life? Remember what I told you? He just appears on the scene. We're not going to see him born any more than we're going to see him die. The Bible tells at the end of Elijah's life, he's got a young man's been following him around who wants a double portion of the power of the Holy Spirit that was in Elijah's life. And so Elijah says, if you see me taken to heaven, God will give you a double portion. So Elisha follows him wherever he goes. That's why we know how Elijah went. The Bible says that he was caught up in a whirlwind, taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. God takes Elijah up. And the promise in the page of scripture is he will return to announce the second coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he comes. Well, we're first introduced to him in chapter 17. Nowhere when people are out of shape with God, no time ever in history, past, present, or future, will God allow man not to have a representative of his word ever from all the time in prehistory God spoke to the people he speak to him through prophets we'll see him tonight speaking through prophets one day the Lord's going to call his church home the church will no longer be the representative of Christ or or the word of God to the people on earth so what does God do he sends the angels he says 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams, if you will, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, to minister to the people who are in God never leaves man without a witness. Ever. He never has. He never will. So you have Ahab, living his life in fear, wants to hold on to his kingdom, and he thinks the best way to hold on to his kingdom is to marry a princess of the high priest of Baal. From this time forward, Baal worship is going to become the the premium foe, if you will, against the worship of the one true God. And that'll be the battle that we see, the battle lines drawn, and uh, the prophets of God then are going to deal with that. Now you remember I told you, Baal is a storm god, right? The god of the rain. So he's the one that the children of Israel will go to when there is no rain. Well, let's look at chapter 17. Chapter 17 says, And Elijah the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. So like I told you, Elijah just happens. There he is. There he is on the scene. That's all we know about him. He has audience with Ahab <coughs> because he is carrying with him the word, the voice of God. God's prophet there to speak to the king, to speak to the king of the northern kingdom and say, hey, listen, what's going on? Now remember, as we look at this and as we consider this, Jezebel is chiefly responsible for the extermination of the worship of the true God. 
So she's going to become the, the, the enemy, if you will, of Elijah. They're going to do battle as we see the story of Elijah un, unfolded for us. Elijah the Tishbite and the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except at my word. So Ahab goes to the king. Again, please understand, we're not, we're not talking about a judgment. Jesus said, when, the, when people thought Jesus was coming to judge the world, do you remember what he said? He said, I don't need it. The world's already judged. The world's already condemned. I've come to save, not to judge. God, I don't look at this as God's judgment on the people. I look at this as God saying, remember I told you, if we're sideways, I'm going to show you who's real. Baal was the god of what? You remember? The god of the storms, right? So this is as though Elijah is saying, I'll show you who the true god is. If Baal is real, then I won't be able to stop the rain. But if Baal is not, then I will. When's the last time you heard somebody come up and just say, it's not going to rain until I tell you. Pretty amazing Things going on in life with Elijah. And as Elijah comes, <coughs> listen to how he comes. He's asserting that Yahweh is still the God of Israel. Now the northern kingdom, Israel, they have all turned away from the worship of God to the worship of Baal. But Elijah comes and says that he's bringing word of the God of Israel. He hasn't stopped being their God. They haven't stopped being his people, though they are disobedient, though they are in this place. The other thing that he says is he is the living God. That means, by implication, that Baal is not the living God. Baal is this hocus pocus that they're putting their trust in. Because they don't want to have to... Uh, this this thing, this hang up that people have with God. You know what that hang up is? It's called Repentance. It means to be able to stand before a holy God and say, I'm sinner, I'm wrong, forgive me. People don't like to do that. People don't like to take responsibility for what they've done. Have you noticed that in the world today? People will get in an, in an accident. I heard a, a crazy thing uh, recently about a, a person who was in an accident. They got hit by a car because of a, um, a, 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 dri- a driver uh, hit them, didn't see him as they were going down the road. But the reason they got hit is because they were there husband couldn't drive him because he had had a DUI and the reason he had a DUI is because he went out drinking with his boss so really the whole thing's his boss's fault so the boss ought to pay for the medical deal of the person who was hit that's crazy right how about we take a little responsibility for the choices we make but people don't like to do that so when your relationship or the rain in this case is hinged upon your willingness to come to God and repent and admit I'm wrong, forgive me, let's get on track. They won't do it. They won't do it. He says here, listen, he's the living God. Baal is not the living God. And God is not silent. He is speaking. That's still true today, by the way. A lot of people will come to me and say, Jackie, I just can't hear from the Lord. He's not speaking to me. Well, God's not silent. He's still talking. He's still speaking. We may not be listening. It may not be the audible voice of God that comes blaring through your ears, but the word of God was with the people even then. The kings had been given God's ordinances, God's thoughts, God's desire for their life, how God would want them to walk. Now they choose to, to get rid of it, to throw the scrolls away, to burn them, to throw them in the fire and say, oh, well, that's just, that's for the olden days. That has nothing to do with us today. But it does. It does. And one of the things we'll see is that as we look at the contrast between walking in fear and walking in faith, God brings us a man of faith. His name is Elijah, who will live his life by faith in the midst of a nation that's living their life by fear. And he'll contrast for us. If you want to see or hear the voice of God, here's some things, very simple things. Just walk in obedience. Do what God's asked you to do. If you walk in rebellion, don't be shocked that you don't hear anything from the Lord. 
If you want to hear something from the Lord, walk in obedience. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It just means that you have to desire, what? Am I trying to please God or am I trying to live to please man? One is living by faith, the other is living by fear. So Elijah is going to give us that example. And then, the other thing I want you to notice from verse 1, he didn't just stop the rain. What else did he stop? He stopped the dew. Wow. So there's no dew, no rain, no water, period. Until Ahab says, until I say so, there will be no rain. So then the word of the Lord came to him, the word of the Lord, speaking to Ahab. Ahab, now why? You're going to see this over and over again. Ahab, (coughs) excuse me, Ahab is obedient to what God has told him to do. God told him to go talk to Ahab. So he went and talked to Ahab. Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. He was obedient. What happens? The Lord gives him the next step. So often in our lives, the silence of God in our life is due to the fact that God has spoken for us to step out and do something, be something, get rid of something. I don't know. For you, for me, I know. And when the Lord speaks to my life, when I'm obedient in that thing, then the voice of the Lord will come to me again. He'll speak to me. He'll talk to me. Sometimes I, I hear the voice of God inside in my heart and my mind sometimes i read it in scripture sometimes I, I i sense it in worship whatever the case but as i'm obedient god is faithful to continue to speak and continue to talk to me continue to lift things up what did you get joe i got spider-man you got a spider-man jacket yeah man that's the coolest thing ever is that for dad yeah that's for me that's for you oh, okay you better take it then Thanks for showing me, bud. Thanks. That's pretty cool. You going to hang out with Miss Susie? You're, you're not a very good babysitter, babe. <laughs> he wanted to show Dad his Spider-Man. That's pretty cool. So everybody, Joe, Joe, everybody. So as we take a look, as we see these things, that's what we want to get. The Lord has, has stopped the dew and the rain. He has his man of faith. There before him, and as we're obedient, he'll speak. And then as we're obedient, he'll speak. And that's, you're going to see that all throughout Elijah. Look. So he says to him, Get away from there and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, or Kerat. The, it means to be, to be cut off or separated. And so he tells him to go to the brook. Now, this is just a, a brook somewhere out in the desert. They call them wadis if you ever go into Israel, which is just a. And they're important to people who live in the desert. I know that, that some folks here think this is a desert. When we talk about the desert in the Bible, it doesn't look anything like this. Just so you know. There's no little green grass growing and, and snow. I'm talking sand, cactus, sand. And there's a wadi. It's just a little a, a, a creek that runs. And that's where the folks will go get their water. So God says to Elijah, okay, you took the word to Ahab. Now God says, now leave, get out of there, because Ahab may want to kill you as soon as he discovers that it's really, the rain has really stopped. So he tells him to go to this place, this, this brook, Kerat, to this place of, of, of separation. And so what do we see? I just want you to look and see what happens. Get away from there, turn eastward, hide by the brook Kerat, and, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you will have drink, from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there whenever God calls us to something I don't care how hard or difficult it is he promised the nation if you follow me I'll take care of you and sometimes we think there's just no way for God to take care of me if I do this so Ahab is faithful he talks to the king he can't just live like he had lived before so God says to to uh, Elijah Go by the brook Kerat. And so he goes to that place. And the Lord says, there you'll have drink. There's the brook. So there's water right there for him. And then he says, I'll have the ravens. Now the word there for ravens is the word Orebim. Orebim. It's a a black bird with short tail. It's the same bird when you read the story of Noah. Remember Noah, before he put the dove out, he put out an Orebim. and And it flew back and forth, back and forth. The Bible always translates it raven. Whether it's a raven 
or some kind of black bird, what we do know about this particular bird is it's unclean. It's an unclean bird because it eats carrion. So the people were never allowed to eat it. And God says, you go, you sit by the brook, and I will use the beam to feed you. And they're going to bring you bread and meat every morning and every evening. And so, what do we see? Ahab obeys. He doesn't try to figure it out. He doesn't try to say, really, how's this going to work? It doesn't make any sense. God, I don't know if I want to eat after a raven. I don't know if I want to pick food out of its mouth. Or, you know, is he, does he fly with a T-bone and drop it? Or has it been a little nod on, you know? Is this, is this carrion he's feeding me with? Or is this good food? He doesn't do any of that. He just says, God told me to go, and I went. And when he went, what does he experience? He experienced the provision of God. God takes care of him. Now, he doesn't have a castle. God's not dropping gold coins in his lap. He's giving him what? He needs day by day. Doesn't that sound familiar to anybody? Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. And so the, in the Proverbs, Solomon would, would lay out for the, the, the same concept. Give me neither riches nor poverty. Riches where I would forget you as my Lord. Poverty where I would steal and curse your name. But give me day by day my daily bread. What I need. So Elijah is faithful. He gives the word. He goes where God told him, told him to go. It's not a posh deal, but he hangs out by this brook and the ravens come and feed him. This is a scripture I told my dad when God called me into ministry. When God called me into ministry, I was working freeways in California. I had painted freeways. Put, you know those little bumps? You ever wondered who does those? I did the little bumps on the freeway. We did the stripes on the freeway painted. Pasadena, if you ever watched the Rose Parade, you have seen my painting. Because in a Rose Parade, if you've ever seen a red curb, green, blue, the lines that the parade follows, there are a variety of different colors of lines that the parade follows. So the guys driving the floats and, and bringing the, the bands nowhere to go. Yeah, we painted them all. Painted every stop sign in Pasadena. Painted everything that there ever was on the road in California, north to south. Um, things, life was pretty good. Uh, Kathy loved it because I made the money, brought it home, but never had time to spend it. So I'd hand it to her and go back to work. So she'd get to play. Now, I never spent any time with my kids. Uh, I don't remember really spending any time with them at all until maybe they were, oh gosh, probably five, six, maybe seven. When I was about <coughs> 30 years old, I began to feel God calling me in the ministry, I went to Bible college. I wanted to, to back away from this life where I was working so much. And I remember telling my dad, I think God's calling me into ministry, so I'm going to take a job at a city that's 8 to 5 instead of this crazy job. You know, granted, made a lot of money. The prevailing wage in California was 38 bucks an hour. You figure it out. 92 hours a week probably was my average. So, So there was... Always money in the bank. But I remember my dad saying, well, what are you going to do? You're going to go take his job and, and it, you know, it's not going to be enough. What's going to happen? And I said, Dad, God told Elijah to go sit by the brook and he fed him with ravens. If God's calling me and I need fed by ravens, he'll send the ravens. God will take care of it. And, you know, God was faithful. We didn't come out unscathed. We ended up scraped and bruised and battered a little bit through the journey that God brought us. But he always gave us our daily bread. He always covered it every step of the way. What's key? The key is, will you be obedient to go where God's calling you? God's going to give you direction in your life. 
He's going to speak it to your heart. He's going to speak it through the word. He's going to confirm it with other brothers and sisters. And then he's going to wait. And he is very patient. He will wait for years and years and years and years. And you may during that time say, God's not speaking to me. It's because he's waiting for you to do the last thing he said. And as you step out in obedience, God will meet you. Just like he met Elijah. Just like he takes care of him here. Look at the scriptures. It said in verse 6, So the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook, the provision of God. He gives us what we need. The Bible says, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Jesus said, don't worry like the heathen do and use vain repetition calling out to God for these variety of different things. Listen, God knows what you need before you ask. He clothes the lilies in the valley. He clothes the feathers, or the feathers. He clothes the birds. He takes care of the, what they need to eat. And you have more value than all of this. He knows what you need. He can give you what you need. Will you live by faith or by fear? By fear, you have moved to the northern kingdom and life is going to be frustrating. By faith, you move to the southern kingdom. I didn't say life will be easy. But God will meet your needs. The difference. So here's Elijah being that example. Now look at verse 7. Even being an example of God doesn't mean that sooner or later God is not going to ruffle the nest and make things uncomfortable to move us along. Verse 7. And it happened after a while... <clears throat> that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. After a while, a lot of people think we're looking at a year. <coughs> Ultimately, we know it's going to be three years before Ahab goes, or before Elijah goes back to talk to Ahab. So we see him here. It's been a it's been a year. The brook is dry. It has been no rain, no dew. That has got to be um, causing a very harsh. Famine in the land. People running out of food. Things aren't growing. Nothing's happening. So the brook dries up. Now I want you to look. The brook dries up because there has no, been no rain in the land. But Elijah stayed there. He stays there. The Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Elijah didn't get up and go, You know, the brook is dry. It's time for me to go. Uh, I'm going to start walking. And hopefully God's going to direct me. He waited until God gave direction. Waiting is a hard thing to do, right? Does the scripture ever call us to wait on the Lord? Does the Bible say things like, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength? They will mount up with wings of eagles. They will will run and not grow weary, walk and shall not faint. For those who wait on the Lord, wait, I say, on the Lord. Over and over and over again. So here Elijah is. Now, I don't know how long he waited there. Obviously, he couldn't have waited too long. Without water, you don't live very long, right? He just waited until God spoke to him. And as he waited there, be still and know that I am God, the psalmist declared. So here he is still. And he's waiting. And it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have... Listen to this phrase. Commanded a widow there to provide for you. One of the biggest things I hear, well, I don't know if I hear it all that often, but occasionally I hear from people about preachers. Preachers are always stealing money from widows. Well, pay attention to what the word just said. God said, I have commanded a widow to take care of Elijah. And she is, at least in some way, a pagan woman. Probably not Jewish at all. Why? Did you see where he's going? Zarephath. Zarephath. What's that mean? Remember I told you about Ethbaal? He was the king of where? The Sidonians? Where was Zarephath at? In Sidon. Between Tyre and Sidon. Where did God just send him? Into the middle. the, The mainstay of Baal worship. 
in the Canaanite lands, he has sent him. Go. I have commanded. There will be a widow who's going to take care of you. What does Elijah do? He argue. He say, Lord, this can't be really what you want me to do. You know, that is, I'd rather go back here where Ahab is than out there where Ethbaal is the high priest where Jezebel came from. But that's where God sends him. That's where God leads him. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. I love that phrase. You know why? Because Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, There were a lot of widows in the land back in the days of Elijah. But to one did God send his prophet. God sent Elijah to one. So, so Elijah goes. Now, he doesn't give him, I just want you to notice, there's no address here. There's no map quest. He didn't put it into Google, so he knew where he was going. He knew the city, he knew the area, and he went. And God's going to work through his obedience again to provide for him, to bring that provision. It's going to be because of his obedience to the word of God. God spoke his word, he was obedient. We don't have prophets today. Well, not in the sense of Old Testament prophets. Old Testament prophets received revelation from God and brought that revelation to man. And it was the Word of God. Today we have the Word of God. We still have prophets, prophets that can bring the Word, prophets who can speak of the future, things that are happening. Their Word will line up with the Word of God, but it is not God's Word. So here we see specific thing taking place. We have the Word, God's Word. We can open it up in a, a thousand different places, and I can look at it and say, are you being obedient to what God's Word has told you? God's Word has told you, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you love your wife like Christ loved the church? Wives, the Bible says to submit unto your own husband as unto the Lord. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in case none of us are are married to love the Lord your God with all your heart. I'm not even reaching yet. Right? But there comes a time where each of us have to make a choice. I'm not going to live my life by fear, trying to please man. I want to live my life by faith and please God. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible. But I spent a lot of my life living it in the fear of man, not wanting to upset man or, or have people think weird things of me or whatever. I cared more about what man thought than I cared about what God thought. I'll, I won't live my life that way anymore. It matters more what God thinks about what I'm doing than what man thinks about it. It matters more about how God views my activity and if my activity is clearly written in the page of Scripture as being sinful, what do I need to do? Make excuses and say, well, that was written like 2,000 years ago. You know, it's for the olden days. It has no application today. Well, I'll, I would say to you, if that's your view, that's why you don't hear from God. Because you won't repent. You won't be obedient. And we make excuses. I've done it. I lived my life that way for 30 years plus. I'm not going back to that. Not going back to that place. This is what we see in the life of Elijah. He was obedient. He followed God's plan. And part of God's plan was to use a poor widow to take care of him. And that's just like God, in case you're wondering. That's just like God. Why? Because then they'll know that their provision came from God, not from man. It came from him. Well, it goes on. So he arose. And he went to Zarephath, and there he came to the gate of the city. Indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. That phrase meant that she was in extreme poverty. Because only the lowest would be out gathering sticks at the gate of the city. Let's picture that. Somebody driving down Broadway, and you see somebody walking along the street, picking up stuff out of the road. What do you think about them? Well, that's probably the wealthiest guy in town. Is that what we think? No, we know. Man, that's, 
somebody on hard times, right? They're picking up scraps out of the road. That's exactly where this widow was. She's picking up scraps. She's picking up twigs, trying to make a fire. So she's trying to put together enough twigs to make a fire. And the word used here is a word for little bitty sticks. Not big old logs that she's finding on the side of the road. Little bitty sticks, like gathering up pine needles and gathering up leaves and gathering up stuff most people just throw out. But that's what she's looking for, to have a fire. So there was this widow. How does he know she's a widow? In those days, when someone was a widow, there was a particular way that they dressed. They dressed as though they were in mourning, and then after the period of mourning was over, the way they dressed marked them as someone who was a widow. So he sees, well, here's a widow. He doesn't know if this is the widow. God didn't say what the widow's name was. But here he comes to this widow. And he called to her and he said, Please, bring me a a little water and a cup that I may drink. Now if you can imagine, the brook dried up. Elijah waited for the word of God. He had to walk to Sidon. I don't know how far away that was. So I imagine he's thirsty. And for me, it's always a little weird in the Bible when I read stuff like this. And a guy says to this woman picking up sticks, Hey, could you get me something to drink? What we have to understand is in the Eastern culture, it is considered an honor to be able to get water for somebody that's thirsty. In fact, when we look at, at some of the concepts of it, um, it's considered a sacred duty, an opportunity, generosity in those days, not like today. Today we see somebody in need and, and they look dirty and, and we may just look the other way. But in Middle Eastern culture, they don't do that. They help. They give them water. They give them a place to stay. And so, same here with his widow. He asked her for a drink. And as she was going to get it, <coughs> so she puts down her pile of twigs and little sticks and leaves that she's trying to get together for a fire. And she goes and gets him something to drink. And as she's going, he says, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she says to him, As the Lord your God lives. Whoa, does that surprise anybody? Remember where I told you he was? Pagan land, the worship of Baal is big. I want you to understand that everybody in that city would know that Elijah was not from there when he came into the town. He dressed like a Jew. He looked like a a prophet. We know from some of the things he wore because he looked just like John the Baptist. So he's there, he looks a bit like a wild man, he's in the place, they recognize him, she recognizes him as a Jew, and so she responds to him. She says, as the Lord your God lives. Now there's something else important about that. Now maybe she's not professing faith in him, but she's at least professing the concept that she knows that the God of Israel is real. Why is she professing that? Well perhaps a word has traveled to the city that the reason they're in a famine and there has been no rain for a year is because the holy man of God, the God of Israel, said there will be no rain. And she has figured out after a year that Baal is powerless to move against the true God. So her response to Elijah is, as the Lord your God lives. That's strange words to hear coming out of this lady's mouth. This is not... Someone who grew up in it. This is someone who grew up in the center of Baal worship. Yet her attitude toward the Lord or toward Elijah is one that sees God as true, sees him as living. Her response is I do not have bread. I have a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare it for myself, so that my son and I may eat it and die. She says it. That's all the food I got. There's no more coming. The famine is in the land. We're going to die. We are going to die, so I'm going to cook the last little bit of bread. And when she says, I'm going to cook these little cakes... The cakes that she's talking about, not some big cake, it's like the little cake that you would cook for a child. For you and I to understand it, it's like a, 
uh, roughly a, uh, about the thickness of a pita and the size of a cupcake. So when we're talking about little cakes, we're talking about small. Now, you know what I find so fascinating about this? We don't know. It's not told to us. The story's not there. What is there is these clues. The clues that says this woman sees that the God of Israel is real and living. She doesn't profess the God of Baal. But she doesn't maybe yet have this God as her God. She says, the Lord your God lives. As the Lord your God lives. What if this widow, poor, destitute, with a little child, she's got a little son, small enough to be carried, we'll see in a moment. What if she's out there in the midst of all this famine and all this struggle, and she's pondering to herself, man, I, the God of the Israelites is real and true, but I don't know how that's going to help me. I'm going to die. How do you know that's not why the brook Kerat dried up? How do you know when God said, I have commanded a widow to take care of you, that God didn't send Elijah to this widow just for this reason? Just because she pronounces the Lord as the Lord who lives, the living God. Maybe she's not in a place of faith Yet, but she's about to have the most preeminent prophet on the pages of Scripture live with her for a couple years. I don't know, you think some of that's going to rub off? We're not even done seeing the miracles with her yet. I mean, I feel like this whole thing is orchestrated not just for God to take care of Elijah, but for God to use Elijah to minister to a widow that nobody cares about in a land where there's not going to be any witness for her as a prophet. So God sends his prophet into the middle of enemy territory to minister to this widow. You know, that's just like God. One day Jesus said, as he's coming down the road to Jericho, I must go to Samaria. And the disciples said, no good Jew goes to Samaria. But God said, yeah, there's a woman there. She's had a hard life. She's on her fifth husband. She can't find happiness in men. She's hated by the women of the city. Nobody cares about her. And in a couple hours, she's going to be drawing water by herself at a well. And when she does, I'll be there. So this widow, I just want you to picture it. This widow goes out to pick up the last few pieces of straw and twigs that she can find in a road to cook a fire to eat her last meal and die of starvation. And just so happens to run into Elijah. And Elijah gives her what I consider to be a little test. I want you to look at it. I want you to see this little test. <clears throat> that Elijah gives her. She says, uh, after she says, we're going to eat it and die, Elijah said to her, what's that phrase? Do not fear. Remember I told you coming into this, and as we go through this study, and as we consider our lives, we are always faced with two choices. Live our life by faith, or live our life by fear. How many times does the Bible say, do not be afraid, fear not? Do you know? 366 times. That way we have one for every day of the year plus leap year. So you have plenty of opportunity to find a scripture that will say, do not fear. So he says to her right here, do not fear. He's calling her to live by faith. Go and do as you have said, but listen to this. But make me a small cake from it first. You ever been down to that I don't know how you guys eat. How, do you guys eat? You take the best bite first or the best bite last? Really? Man, so you guys are weird. So, <laughs> let me just tell you what I do. I save that best bite for last. If, it, if I'm eating a T-bone, I will not eat the, the little piece of filet first. The little piece of filet is last, the last bite. And that is always the bite. I don't care. That's the one my wife asked for. <laughs> Life is uncertain. Eat the filet first. 
So I come to that. Now the reality is, whether you are a person who saves the best for last, or the best for first, when Elijah comes to this woman, he's saying, I want you to take this little cakes that you have for you and your son. Now picture them, the size of a pita, roughly as round as a cupcake. And I want you to make me a little cake first. Now you're faced with a decision, right? How am I going to live my life? By faith or fear? Now I may have shared the story with you before, but when, when God first brought me into ministry, we went through a period of time where we lost, we lost everything as a result of a guy that I was working for. Um, in essence, he, he stole from me. But I didn't know he was stealing from me. And by the time I knew he was stealing from me, the guys in the nice suits and the dark sunglasses took all my stuff. Everything I ever earned on that job, working those freeways, the boats, new cars, new house, they came and took it all. Every piece. Not because I wouldn't pay him, but because a guy stole from me. More than $20,000. Gone. Poof. And so... We're, we're left holding the bag. It all gets obliterated. And while we're going through that time, that's all <clears throat> wiped out. My wife and I began to be, the Lord began to speak to us about tithing. And, and so it was kind of easy because we really didn't have anything. So when you really don't have anything, if you got five bucks and that's what you had for the week, Tithing off of five bucks, five bucks can't buy anything anyway, so whether you're tithing off of five bucks or four fifty, it doesn't make any difference. We began to put in the concept of tithing into what we did. And we started tithing back then, when, when all that stuff was going on. And I remember things started to get better, you know, things kind of balanced out, got the jobs, thing got working, everything everything was on the rise coming up. And Kathy called me one time and she said, hey, um, I got all the stuff done and the, and the bills paid and I just want to know if, if you want to tithe um, this, this month. Yeah, well, my answer was always, yeah, yeah, I want to tithe. And, and she says, well, I think we're going to be okay. We got enough stuff, enough groceries, I think. I won't be able to go grocery shopping, but all we really need is a little milk and uh, some lunch meat. And I said, well, tithe. God will supply our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. If I got to go a week or two without milk, I will survive, you know. There's water coming out of the faucet. So <laughs> you can have water, by the way, on Frosted Flakes. You can do it. And it's not as bad as you think. So anyways, we said this is what we would do. This is how we were going to do it. And so we went to church that night and... And in the church we, we went to, on the back on the wall, there was, like we have out in the back out there, a little box where you could drop your tithe, you know. So we went to that box, and Kathy dropped her tithe in, and we sat down, and it was a, a believer's meeting, so it was a night of, like, prayer and worship. And we're sitting, worshiping, praying, and, and we're coming toward the end, and Pastor Gerald got up, and he came up, and he said, Hey, um, before we wrap up tonight, I just want to let everybody know, I don't know if you heard or not, Smith's Market in town just went out of business and uh, they had an abundance of milk. And so they shipped it over to us in a truck. And out in the parking lot, we have a truck full of milk. Um, so if you need milk, it's out there. Just, just go by the truck and get it. So Kathy's all stoked. I'm pretty stoked. I'm like, oh, wow. You know, God really did provide. So she goes out and she grabs that milk. And this guy, Tom Walsh, is the one passing out to everybody. And Kathy's all excited. You know Kathy. Kathy is excited. She likes to talk. So Kathy's talking to Tom. And Tom's like, <clears throat> hands her the milk or whatever. And, and she goes, man, this was so great and God's so good. I think we needed milk and bread. So, so both were available in the, in the truck. And she said, she laid it all out for him. Man, we were, we were faithful to do this and God supplied our needs. We needed milk and bread and and, and lunch meat, and look, we have all the milk and, and bread that we need. And Tom got a funny look on his face. In that whole truck, full of milk and bread, there was one pack of lunch meat. So Tom said, I guess this is for you. So everything we were short, God gave. Every step along the way, 
from that day forward, he has never let me down. He has not always bailed me out of all the trouble I have caused for myself. But he has always given me what I need. Always. That time, God was asking me to give to him first. Just like Elijah says to the widow. Will you give to me first? Will you make my little cake first? Look what he says to her. He says, But you make a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. So there's going to be less. There's only enough for two. That means herself and her son are going to split one little cake. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour will never be used up, nor the jar of oil run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So, before she saw any of it, she had to reach into that jar of flour and take the last handful. And she had to dip into that, that jar of oil and take the last bit and use it up. And then give the first part of it to the man of God. And God said, if you do that, you will never run out of flour or oil until the famine's over. What's he saying? I will take care of you. What I love about the story is what the widow does. I don't know, maybe she figures she's dead either way, whether she has a full cake or half a cake. So it says, she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. What do we call that? We call that obedience. What happens when we obey God? We see God's provision. What happens? She obeys God and she and he and her household ate for, what's it say? Many days. That means that because she did that, she never, through the rest of the famine, was want for food again it's just like <clears throat> the multiplication of the fishes and the loaves now I don't know how God did it and the Bible doesn't tell us all the Bible says is she would never run out of food what's that mean every time she put her hands down there was always that handful of flour in there it never wore out or that last ladle full of oil that was always there every time she dipped it doesn't mean that it overflowed and was running all over the ground but it, but it seems to speak of a multiplication. And whatever she needed, she had. The rest of the time. It's like God saying to her, look what happens when you obey my word. And again, I, don't, I think this is a woman who, who, who doesn't, at, at least at that point, have a relationship with God yet. She knows he's real. She knows he's powerful. She knows he's true. Now she knows he'll provide for her. Now she knows that. So the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. Just like the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. But as you know, and as I know, just because we're obedient to God, does that mean that there's not ever going to be some hardship in our life? Does that ever mean we're not going to go through disappointing times? Does it mean we're not going to suffer? Does it mean life's not going to be hard? No, God never promised us that our life would be easy. He just promised to always be there. So we have the next verse. So it happened after these things. That the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Now there's a variety of commentators who argue about whether or not this kid was dead. I don't know how long you can hold your breath. But if I stop breathing just for the amount of time that we have to read the story, someone's going to have to resuscitate me. So there, the word of God saying there's no breath in him means there's no breath in him. He is dead. He died. He's gone. He got sick and there's no breath in him. It just takes a guy with a bigger degree than mine to argue about whether or not this guy is dead 
or somehow remotely alive. I believe he's dead. Now it says in verse 18, So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? So she comes to him. Now I want to kind of try to translate this culturally from their time to our time. But basically what she's saying is, What have I done? What did I do? Have I sinned? Is it, am I paying a price for my past sins? And aren't these the same questions people ask today? What did I do? Did I sin that this thing has come upon me? Did, am I having to pay for the past sins? Are you bringing to remembrance my failures of the past? Are those coming forward? It's the same kind of questions that people ask. It just sounds a little funny to us as we read it because it's given to us in the, in, in the cultural concept, the way she would speak it in, in Aramaic there, Hebrew, as she's talking to him. So as she's laying this out for him, this is what she's saying. Man, what did I do? Are my sins coming down upon me so that God would kill my son? And so he said to her, give me your son. I just want everybody to know, if you have children, one day God is going to ask you the same thing. Do you hear it? God is going to say to you, give me your child. As much as you want to make every decision for him the rest of their life, as much as you want to guide and direct, God is going to say, give him to me. Elijah here says to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms. Now she's carrying him. So what does that mean? Yes, this is a little child. Okay, little child, starving widow, carrying a child, little child, okay, small. I mean, he may be a little bigger than little, but you get the idea. <coughs> Whatever size he is, she's carrying him. So he took, her, he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. And he said, Lord, my God. Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child. How many times? Three, Three times. In uh, Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, I prayed three times for a thorn of my flesh to be removed. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Well, as we... As we consider that story, in the same way we see Elijah here doing the same thing. He lays out, he says, he says, God, you know, he knows, he acknowledges who holds everyone's breath in his hand. God, when God says your breath is, your time is done, your time is done. I don't care whether you think it's right or not. God is the one who holds it in his hand. Not the doctors, not anybody else. It's God. So Elijah says here. Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? You've taken his breath. And he stretched himself out on the child three times, and he cried out to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Sounds like just a kid who's sick and having a hard time breathing, right? <laughs> so three times he cried out. He laid on the child and said, Lord... Let his soul come back to him. Lord, let his soul come back to him. Lord, let his soul come back to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came back and he revived. Elijah is not living his life by fear. He's not afraid to ask. Is God still the one who says yes or no? Yeah. So do we have to be afraid? So often we think we have to be afraid to ask God to heal. Because if God doesn't heal, then, <clears throat> I don't know, we feel like somehow we painted God in a bad light. Listen, God is the healer, period, always. I don't care what doctor you go to, what you do. God is the healer. We can always ask for healing. But just like God told Paul no, he can tell us no. And just like God told Elijah, yes, he can tell us, yes. 
What do you notice about both of them? They still asked. We don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to try to defend God if a healing doesn't come. If you're led to pray for healing, pray for healing, for crying out loud. And you pray for healing until God says no. He says, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. We don't have to be afraid. But what if he doesn't heal? Then uh, God said no. He is God. I'm not. But I don't have to be afraid to ask my dad to heal. I don't have to be afraid. And so, Elijah, unafraid, prays, and God heals. God touches this child. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room of the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now, by this I know, you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is the truth I think I think that's when the widow got it I think God was willing to go to whatever it took to get her saved how did he do it well he took Elijah across a famine infested world to the capital of debauchery and, and surrounding areas with a very king lived for whom he was doing battle against his his god he brought him there to this widow woman to show that god gives he provides and then god took her son so she would know that every word elijah said was true now i'm going to tell you the tradition and I like this tradition. I don't know if it's true, but I like it. I like seeing stories come around full circle. I don't know if you know the Jewish tradition about who this child is. But the, the word used in Scripture for now I know that the word, every word that comes out of his mouth is truth, is the exact same word used of another prophet's father. And that prophet's name is Jonah. So Hebrew tradition says that the child of this widow was a prophet, Jonah, when he grew up. Bible doesn't tell us. I'm just telling you what the tradition is. But I sure like the concept of that story. Because I believe this widow comes to know the truth about God. How? By the things she suffered. Because she had so much given to her? Is it because of the miracles? No, it's because of God's provision. It's because God provided for her when she was hungry. It's because God brought healing. And not because God healed her son. But she saw that the words of the prophet were true. And she put her faith and trust in that. And no matter whether or not her son was Jonah or not. It certainly changed their life. Forever. God cared so much about this little widow and her son that he went and sent his prophet to her. Does that not seem like God? John 3, 16, what's it say? For God so loved what? The world that he did what? His only begotten son he gave. He sent his son. What's the distance to travel from heaven to earth? I don't know, it's a long way. He was willing to travel all that distance just because he knew about you and me. And he came just like he did for them. And as they were obedient, God showed his provision. As they were obedient, God spoke. As they were obedient, God moved. I don't know if you know this, none of us are going to be perfect. Nor will we keep uh, or perform every commandment that God has given. Apart from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in Christ Jesus we are just men made perfect. In him we're already clean. In him we have all those things. Will we keep, will we treasure his word, will we treasure the Lord? Because in our relationship with him. In a relationship with God. 
you have kept the law. In a relationship with Jesus, you have performed the law. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus does in that relationship with us. Will we treasure? Will we obey? Will we walk? If we do, the same stories we read, we can see in our day. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time where we can study and open your word. God, I thank you for the truth of what you delivered to us. And Lord, I pray that our heart, our desire would be to say, man, I, I want to truly apply the things that you're telling me. I want to walk in obedience. I want to see your provision. I want to trust in your ability to do all these things that you say you're going to do. God, you're... You're so good to us, and you're so amazing, and you're so true. God, I just pray that we would make that decision, that choice that says, I will live my life, because my God is able to do abundantly above and beyond all I might ask or imagine. He is able. Truly, God, you are able. You are able to save us to the uttermost, from the guttermost to the uttermost. You are able. For you are true. You are living. God, I just thank you and I pray for each one of us here tonight that you would show yourself mighty to save. Yes. Able to do all these things that we, that we see, Lord God, able to move in our time. Yes. And I pray we would choose moment by moment, step by step, day by day to walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen.